reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. For now, the gospel reading from John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Some traditions stand up for gospel reading. I'm not going to make you do that. That's 21 verses. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may, in, may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. 
This is the word of the Lord. slide into something new? Do we make a formal announcement? Dearest reader, I have decided to begin again. Do we turn gradually a gentle yield in a new direction? Or like a wave, do we crash onto the shores of a new day? Grieve the change? Are there the breadcrumbs on the path? Will Nicodemus be there? Will it ever be easy? I'm not sure exactly how we begin again, but I know that moths wrap themselves in silk, and after quite some time, after many long nights, after days spent alone, they break out of their shell. They pull themselves out under an open sky, and they spend the rest of their days chasing the light. Maybe it's always that way with beginnings. Maybe it feels like the protective layer falling away. Maybe we have to go at it alone at first. Maybe it feels like pulling and dragging yourself into something new. Maybe there's always open sky at the other end. This morning, um, we are called to question, and the question is, how do we begin anew? The, uh, last Sunday, uh, the, uh, the question was, who do we listen to? So the, uh, for the worship escape that we are building, we have a bullhorn for last um, uh, Sunday and a baptismal font for this Sunday, symbolizing um, who do we listen to and how do we begin anew. Uh, will you join with me in prayer? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
The radio, television, and internet is fed, it seems, constantly by bad news. Some of that news worse than others. Earthquakes in Turkey, flooding and strange snowstorms, and of course, shootings. What to do when we hear those reports can leave us in a difficult position. Do we become callous to just one more report of terrible things happening in the world? Do we respond yet again, rushing out to find the answer? Do we stand with those who are hurting, with the communities that are being torn apart? What to do is a difficult question. And that's one of the things that I was invited to wrestle with as a queer pastor and leader. The Disciples Q Alliance and the National Benevolent Society of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ gathered this week uh, with just the leaders uh, and those of us, those two of us <laughs> who were pastoral leaders who were invited to join them to address the question of what do we do when our communities are attacked. For those who aren't familiar with Disciples Q Alliance, similar to the Reconciliation Ministries of the uh, United Methodist Church, uh, it focuses on supporting open and affirming congregations, LGBTQIA2 plus folks, and providing resources for both and allies. The National, the National Benevolent Society of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ is dedicated to accompanying and partnering with health and social services um, and social service projects and ministries. This gathering uh, was what we call soul care. It looked both at how to take care of the souls of leaders who are struggling with this question as well as equipping them to help others. We spent time looking at photos of those who rest in power following their deaths from shootings in clubs and schools. We then spent some time looking at a feeling wheel um, and then breaking into small groups to name what we felt. I'm going to ask you to, um, to uh, take a look at that feeling wheel. I know it's kind of small print, so it might not be easy. If you want to take a moment to come up and take a look at it, you sure can. If you want to look it up on your phones, that also works really well. Um, so we took a look at the feeling wheel, and then we broke into small groups to name what we felt. Um, as you consider what you might feel when you hear about these attacks on our communities, uh, I'd just like you to take a moment to consider Consider what you feel. You might feel, well, I'm not going to suggest anything. Just let it.
thank you. Um, now I'd like to invite you to keep those thoughts with you for, uh, for a bit, if you don't mind. Um, after talking in small groups, we came back together to talk about what we had talked about. <laughs> and then we uh, talked about things that might, and we might like uh, Q Alliance and NBS to uh, do together in the future following these horrific actions. Uh, having a denominational call to prayer, having an open Zoom time for people to gather to express their grief, um, and simply being together following these things was brought up and might be pursued in the future. Ultimately, though, the question that we were invited to consider, at least that I heard underneath it all, is how do we begin again? When this happens again and again in our communities and we are hurt over and over, how do we begin again? What I shared with my small group were feelings of guilt for not having gone to a gay club since the Pulse nightclub shooting in Florida, um, other than when our spiritual retreat with Colors of Hope went this last October. Uh, feelings of fear for my 11-year-old autistic son who might not know what to do in case of a school shooting. And feelings of anger that there are people who claim the name Christian are standing in the way of policies that would protect and nurture life when it comes to young people. So what do we do with these feelings? Other than my standing up here and crying in front of you. <laughs> we honor them. And then we find ways of taking those feelings and using them in the best ways we can. For feelings of guilt of not doing enough, we first honor what we have done. And then we find ways of doing more in ways that won't burn us out. Feelings of fear of what might, have, might happen to our loved ones, we make sure to spend as much time as we can with those loved ones, loving them deeply and honoring the feelings that we have, both of fear and of care for them. The things that make us mad, however, we honor those feelings of anger as well. But we use it as fuel to change the world. When I learn about what angers someone, not a hot anger, but a cold anger that they can carry with them, that fuels them on the daily, then I learn what that person cares about. So how do we begin anew? That's the question that Nicodemus wonders about when he visits Jesus. That's the answer that lies in Abram, who becomes Abraham. I think the answer is being true to our mission, to what we care about, and to our relationships with God and with another. So let's pull to that story about Nicodemus. First, I'd like you to put away any ideas that you might have already about this story. It's one that has been told so many times. And in many, many circles, especially conservative circles, it's become an unhelpful test. The idea of you must be born again has ceased to be an invitation into discipleship and is often more of a test of whether 
you belong. The idea that asking questions is wicked and only something that a Pharisee would do is both unfair to our Jewish siblings whose tradition dates directly back to the Pharisees, but also to ourselves as well by ignoring the potential that is in this story. The idea that believing is enough is also very dangerous at times. Those are all ideas that I don't think are helpful and don't call us into deeper relationship with one another or with God. Now, Nicodemus comes at night in secret, covered in uncertainty. But Jesus doesn't send him away. Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus is not separated from God, that God is with Jesus. Even if he's uncertain about the divinity of Jesus, he knows that God is alongside the work that Jesus is doing. Nicodemus is not presenting a question or a test. He does, however, come from a community of faith as well. Nicodemus is representing the Pharisees, and when he says, we, he's referring to the Jewish community of Pharisees who are trying to figure out things as well in the 90s, in the end of the first century common era. Later in the passage at chapter 11, when Jesus, or verse 11, when Jesus talks about we know and testify to what we have seen. Jesus is not speaking of then and there in that story, but the then and there of when the story was first told, first heard in the 90s common era and the young Christian community. Prior to that, though, Jesus mentions being born anew in water and spirit. It is a, it is a reference to baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is, an, and this is underlined in the concept that the wind blows where it will. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. How often in our lives are we confronted with the unexpected? That we are struggling to find our way, to find a new path, and are provided that new path through the movement of the breath of God, pushing us towards a new way, a new way of being. Yet here is Nicodemus trying to find the answers to what the new path might be. And he's doing so under the cloak of night. How terrible it would have been for him to be discovered. How sharp must his curiosity and desire to see what others had seen was to seek Jesus at night. We're given the question, when is seeking not safe? When we seek, do we do so openly or are we trying to evade? At the end of John in chapter 19, we find Nicodemus again. Nicodemus assists Joseph of Arimathea with the body of Jesus. Essentially, he has become much like Joseph, a secret disciple. He has seen the light. So the question that is being offered is whether Nicodemus 
had seen the light and how he changed his life. There are many people who follow the teachings of Jesus. They may even like Jesus and believe that Jesus is the Son of God or the Messiah. Others may simply find his teachings to resonate with them and want to live according to the way that Jesus demonstrated. For many people like this, we would have called them Christians, yet the word Christian can be a very loaded term for a lot of people. It can be difficult to bear that name, not due to persecution, certainly not in the United States, but because it can make relationships difficult by people assuming that you might be this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian. Often we want to label ourselves by saying we're progressive Christians, or some people might say they're evangelical Christians. It can be scary to simply say, we are Christians, and to pull from that very, very old, and yes, evangelical song, they will know that we are Christians by our love. So what does it look like to begin anew? I think it looks like being a Christian, standing up for those who are hurting, pushing to make societal systemic change, even while making certain to do the last bits that are necessary to open the apartments. I think it also means to visit those whose lives are ending, to be with them in the very last of it. To begin anew sometimes means to let go of all of what we've known for the last 90 years and try something else for a change. To embrace the unexpected. To honor where we've come from, certainly, but open ourselves to new ideas, new potential, new hopes and dreams. It can be scary, can't it? But it can be exciting as well. So together, after service, let's break some bread and talk about what it might look like to begin anew. Amen.